Signal is a podcast by the Bucks County Beacon. I'm your host and the Beacon's editor-in-chief, Cyril McLeago. Twice a month, we'll use this space to shine a light on the right-wing extremist currents streaming through Bucks County and beyond. We'll talk to guests who will help listeners navigate these perilous political waters by providing insight, analysis, and organizing solutions so that we can steer the community toward calmer, saner, progressive routes. If the Bucks County Beacon is going to be here for the long haul and save the area from becoming a news desert where extremism and authoritarianism flourishes, we need the community to invest in our independent media project so that we can continue to produce this podcast and publish news, analysis, and progressive opinion daily on our website. Go to buckscountybeacon.com support the beacon and become a monthly sustainer today. Steve Nolan spent 30 years in the military and 25 years as a mental health professional. He has published in numerous journals and his poetry was featured on National Public Radio Morning Edition upon his return from Afghanistan in 2007. He is the author of Go Deep, Base Camp, and American Carnage, An Officer's Duty to Warn. He's also a columnist with the Bucks County Beacon and his work reflects his commitment to social justice. Today, I talk with Steve about his book, American Carnage, An Officer's Duty to Warn, and why he believes that Donald Trump is mentally unfit to be Commander-in-Chief. Hi, Steve. Welcome to The Signal. Hey, Cyril. Thanks for having me. Steve, can you tell listeners a little bit about your 30-year military career, which spanned six commanders-in-chief, why you joined, some of the places it took you, and then why you decided to pursue a career as a licensed social worker and therapist within the military? Sure. I, you know, I had a long career, uh, 30 years, and it was a little unorthodox in that it was um, Air Force, and, and then I got out <laughs> uh, to go to graduate school. And then Army, I was in the Army, and then I got out again so that my wife could go to graduate school, and we always wanted a full-time parent for the kids, and then back in for the duration. Um, about oh, 10 years into it, I had decided that I really wanted to be a mental health professional. So 20 of my 30 years uh, was as a uh, mental health officer. Uh, in the beginning, I was uh, what's called a line officer. It was uh, started out in electronic security command up in Alaska, and I would just had to do with spying on the Soviets and them spying on us electronically. You know, I was, I was stationed three years in Alaska, three years in England, you know, uh, Mississippi, <laughs> Georgia, Florida, Texas, and then uh, towards the end of my career, uh, a deployment to Afghanistan. And then also I was stationed in, uh, in Washington and Charleston when I was the chief of mental health for an army prison at Fort Lewis, Washington and uh, the chief of mental health for uh, Charleston Naval Brig in Charleston, South Carolina. So again, a lot that's relevant because a lot more experience with uh, personality disorder. But I dealt with this uh, one, well, actually it's the most serious mental illness of all. Most people think it's schizophrenia, but it's also the least known mental illness, which that's kind of what we're up against. It's a shame because nobody knows anything about this particular malady. The military certainly do, does, and that's why it's an instant discharge 
from the military unless you're uh, going to Leavenworth or prison for crimes already committed. But uh, we can get into that later. But yeah, it was a long career. I'm very proud of my service. Um, I'm very proud of all the troops that we were able to help get better with depression, anxiety, marital problems, combat stress, you know, PTSD, all that. But I'm also very proud of the ones that were not, you know, they had an incurable condition that was extremely uh, pathological and that we eliminated them because we don't get them all. So you're going to end up with a war atrocity in Abu Ghraib prison, a My Lai massacre or something. And um, that's sort of in the realm of what we'll be talking about and what we're witnessing. Just we've never had it get uh, to this high of a level of rank and responsibility. In August 2020, you published the book, American Carnage, An Officer's Duty to Warn, to warn readers that then-President Trump was unfit to serve as commander-in-chief, so much so that he was an existential threat to our democracy, if not the gravest existential threat to our democracy. First, was there a certain point or moment when you immediately knew or recognized this about Trump and knew that you needed to write this book? Yes, um, it actually happened very early on. Some of my colleagues who were mental health professionals, of course, picked up on it. But uh, Senator Jeff Flake and Senator John McCain proved that you did not have to be a mental health professional to pick up on how severely abnormal this was. And the one that Jeff Flake, Senator Flake, picked up on and gave a wonderful retirement speech was the pathological lying. And of course, any soldier, sailor, Marine, airman that just lies all the time to their sergeant, they're, they're, you can imagine your career is not going to last long. In fact, I would say that there isn't any job in, in America, like flipping hamburgers at McDonald's or anywhere, where you can just lie to everybody all the time and you keep your job. So that would be the simplest way of saying the way Jeff Flake put it in his retirement speech was to his colleagues was if you accept the at what is clearly abnormal as a new normal, then you are complicit. And he was referring to the pathological line, which with Trump, why it was so clinical instead of just <laughs> some people would say all politicians lie, um, you know, bend the truth, whatever. But what was so clinical about it is that he just lies like breathing. There, there, isn't, there, there isn't any speech that he gives on any subject where he doesn't lie. And of course, if you see that in a young man, a young soldier or something, you got a problem. So yeah, it was identified very early. And then the thing that sort of confirmed it is when he started to turn on our own institutions, institutions that we, we, we rely on and always have, CIA, FBI, uh, Justice Department, uh, the military itself where everybody else is somehow part of a deep state or a hoax or whatever it is, they're all against Donald, but not him. And that, that's very much like these pathological young men that I had a lot of experience with, particularly sex offenders. They're sort of notorious for the types of easy lies that are really confessions, but they don't know they're confessing to anything. They're just shooting off at the mouth and saying whatever they want. You, you begin the book with diagnoses for narcissistic personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder. How does Trump check these boxes? And can you highlight some of the examples from your book and how they apply? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll try to give you a shortcut because I, I really wouldn't want to waste a lot of time going through the whole list. I would want anyone to take the time to go through the criteria of narcissistic and antisocial 
you know, quickly, you know, they, they have this, this grandiose belief that they are special and better than everyone else. And they have a need for admiration and they have a sense of entitlement. And um, more importantly, though, you get to as you get through the criteria, you start to get to th that they are interpersonally exploitive, uh, that they they use others. They either envy others or hate others, but they they do things to them. <laughs> they're they're arrogant. That's all sort of the narcissistic. The antisocial is the real problem because that's the most serious diagnosis of all. You know, think of your murderers and rapists and all this. There you have a, a failure to ob obey rules and laws, and they're deceptive and they're manipulative. They lack remorse is what the DSM is going to tell you. I can tell you from years of experience. It's not, it would be better to say they're not capable of remorse, regret, guilt, all these normal human behaviors, but the, but it's in, these things are incurable. This is an ingrained pattern of behavior and personality that's not fixable. So in other words, in the military, we have lots of young men can get in trouble and do bad things or even break the law. But if you subject them to discipline, if they, they can turn around, you know, anybody can turn over a new leaf, like the old expression, um, if they're not a personality disorder, if they're personality disorder, this is a permanent incurable condition, which is why we have a separate psychiatric discharge from the military, because no amount of corrective measures or discipline is going to change it. The, I, I urge anyone to read all the criteria. The lists are a little long, but a cheat sheet, a real shortcut is that they lack sympathy. They lack empathy. They're pathological liars, and they don't know right from wrong. They do not choose right over wrong, uh, even if they can figure out what is right and what is wrong. Because for their psychic structure, anything that's against them is wrong, and anything that helps them is right. That's their version of right and wrong. And I think you can see what could go wrong with that kind of a character. It used to be called character disorder in the DSM. I wish they'd never changed it. Personality disorder, I think, is more confusing. Character disorder was more descriptive because they do not have the proper character or as NASA would say, the right stuff, but in the military, the right stuff to put them in a combat zone. Otherwise, they're going to commit Geneva Conventions violations. And in fact, if you follow the thread, to skip ahead a little bit here, you'll see that Trump actually declared that the Geneva Conventions ties the hands of our military. That was a public, unrecanted statement. And he pardoned a war criminal, invited that war criminal that Navy SEAL to his private home and hailed him as a warrior. The, path, the pathology with Trump on each and every subject, you can see, you can follow the thread and it's completely abnormal. It's completely unprecedented and it's completely clinical. Could you give, you know, a few examples of Trump and his expressions of these narcissistic and antisocial disorders? I mean, just a few, because hopefully people are going to, you know, go to their local bookstore and pick up a copy of American Carnage and Officer's Duty to Warn. But just to tease out a few of the examples that you highlight. Yeah, and, and I hope people do read it because I tried to make it a simple read. It's, it's, it's not a long book. I tried to get a lot into it, and it's written completely from a military uh, and clinical point of view. In other words, it's not my opinion. In fact, even in this interview, if you think I'm giving my personal opinion, stop me and I will either apologize to you for doing it or I will show you how. It's not a personal opinion. It's a professional military or clinical opinion or it's already American history.
And so um, maybe I can answer it this way, if you don't mind my bringing my dad into it for something. Because my, sure. my father was a career military officer as well. Uh, he wasn't a mental health professional, but he, like myself, had four years in the Army <laughs> during World War II. And then he became an Air Force officer for the rest of his life. And I had uh, four years in, in the Army and 26 years in the Air Force. Uh, here, but here's what else we had in common. And he wasn't a mental health professional, so I'll get to that, what's different about my dad and I. But here's what's the same to, to illustrate what a no-brainer this case is, the case of Donald Trump, is that if my father or myself had any soldier, and I'll just say soldier, but I mean soldier, airman, sailor, or marine, you have any young member in the military, even if they just had the simple traits of they're rude, they're crude, they're divisive, they're bullying, they're liars— we're going to kick that person out of the military. We want people in the military who have you know, duty, honor, integrity, and, and can represent the uniform proudly. And so just on those minor traits, Trump wouldn't have made it. Now we'll go to a, a more serious level. If we had any young man who told my dad or I that they know more than the generals, that enemy leadership is uh, better than American leadership, that proven U.S. intelligence is a hoax, that sexual assault of women is due to putting men and women together, that we should kill family members of terrorists, that neo-Nazis are fine people, that a free press is the enemy of the people, um, or that the Geneva Conventions, which you must obey to be in the military, ties the hands of our military, we would have to discharge that young man from the military. Now let's go to a more serious level. If we had any, any young soldier who raped, Trump just lost a rape case to $5 million. If we had a soldier who was in, who stole classified documents above top secret, mind you, and took them home to his private residence. If we had that soldier was involved in fraudulent activity ripped to rip off other people illegally, like Trump's fraudulent charity, which he paid a $2 million fine or his fraudulent university that paid a $25 million fine after being elected president, mind you, all these things. Now we're not kicking that young soldier out on a psychiatric discharge. They're going to prison for those crimes. So the reason I'm escalating you uh, this, these traits is to show you the ridiculousness, the ludicrousness of the situation where we allowed someone to become commander in chief of the military for the first time in American history who was unfit to hold the lowest rank private in the military. Now, what my dad didn't know, because he wasn't a mental health professional, is that all of these traits in the same man and being unrecanted, and not just unrecanted, bragging about all your illegal behavior or your sexual assaults, whatever it is, is indicative of these particular two diagnoses, which are the most serious and this would be a whole separate lecture because what the public thinks is that schizophrenia is the, is the most severe mental illness. And in a way it is because the schizophrenic is the most disconnected from reality. They're what's called psychotic. So they have psychotic features of delusions or hallucinations. So it's, if you go to graduate school, they're going to tell you that that's the most serious mental illness. But it's not the most serious mental illness because poor schizophrenics rarely victimize other people. They're not organized enough to become a drug cartel kingpin or, or a mafia don or the head of ISIS or Al-Qaeda or the head of the United States, as Donald Trump was able to pull off. But the pathology 
is the most severe because there is no conscience. They do not have a conscience up to it, including betraying your own country. So it's not just betraying your own wife, like cheating on Melania uh, with a porn star, or it's not just betraying your students at your university and ripping them all off or, or betraying all the uh, charitable contributors to your charity. Because it's a diagnosis, this lack of morality also includes betraying your country, which I could do a whole lecture about Helsinki, because that's when I knew for sure, to get back to sort of an earlier question of hers, when did I know for sure, was Helsinki, where Trump chose Putin in public, on camera, to the world, over all of our proven U.S. intelligence. It, it's such an open and shut case, Cyril, that I'm, I'm looking at someone who could, could have never lasted 90 days in the military, never would have made corporal, and we allowed him to take over the entire country and the entire military. And he's completely mentally unfit for command. How was your book received by your friends and colleagues in the military? Did, did you receive any blowback from it? Did it strain any relationships? Because, you know, the military is just a microcosm of, you know, the larger society. So it's very diverse um, on multiple different levels. No, that's the only, um, that's the only good news is that the, uh, my colleagues, all the, although you have to remember that by the end of my career, I was no longer a line officer. So most of my colleagues were mental health professionals. So I got nothing but attaboys and pats on the back and boy, did you nail it. Thanks for writing the book from my colleagues. And, and I would say 90% of my friends and family, the MAGA portion of the family though, either didn't take the time to read it or lied about reading it, or they truly are uh, a term that I actually resisted for a long time because I don't like to be melodramatic. They're that they're cult members and it wouldn't matter how much fact you give them. I don't particularly find the cult uh, term useful because it's a little bit of sort of like name calling. I like to use a term that I also resisted for a long, long time because I didn't want to be over the top or melodramatic. It's what I call the Hitler factor. And what I mean by that as a mental health professional is that we all like to think, probably you and I like to think this most of our adult life too, is that the German people, I, I'm nothing like that. If, if I lived in Germany, I would have stood up for the Jews or the gypsies or the gays or the whatever. Uh, I never would have gone along with that. Whereas I can say as a, uh, a mental health professional, and I'm sorry I've had to witness it over the last six years, it's not that the Germans that were different. Psychologically, we're too much alike, all these societies. And if the society is down and out or has people with grievances, these hatreds and disgruntlements can be stirred up by the right charismatic leader. In fact, Mar Madeleine Albright, our former Secretary of State, wrote a brilliant book uh, simply called Fascism, where she illustrates this person by person by person, Mussolini, Hitler, Stalin. She ends with Trump. What's fascinating about it is even some of the terminology was borrowed. For instance, Mussolini said he was going to Rome to drain the swamp. But, you know, these, these old uh, Nazi techniques of, of just repetition doesn't matter how big, well, Goebbels said something about the bigger the lie, the easier it's believed. It seems counterintuitive. But unfortunately, it happened. So 74 million people voted for the first mentally ill president, provably mentally ill, in our history. 
And I mean that literally. Uh, I mean that from George Washington to Barack Obama, and you could throw in Joe Biden, is one category, and Donald Trump is the other, and that this is completely unprecedented, luckily for us. Has Trump's first election and then, you know, the 74 million votes he received in 2020, you know, when he lost to Joe Biden and the seemingly clear path that he seems to have right now, if he stays out of jail um, to the Republican nomination in 2024, has any of this shaken your faith in electoral democracy in this country? Um, Well, yes. (laughs) Um, Yes and no. I'm. I'm the eternal optimist, but yes, I am very disappointed that it's it's gone this far. I never considered myself a naive person. I always thought I had a lot of street smarts, and certainly as an Afghanistan veteran, I've seen a lot and been around the, the block a few times. But um, no, I never, I, I never could have imagined that we could have what I would call open and shut cases, the Mueller investigation, the House uh, and Senate reports on Russian cyber warfare, uh, the first impeachment and the second impeachment, they're all absolutely open and shut cases of guilt. As far as I'm concerned, only Adam Kinzinger, Liz Cheney, and Mitt Romney, three people in an old, a whole party, lived up to their oath of office. And that I couldn't have imagined in a million years. And it's frustrating to talk to politicians but two uh, Pennsylvania congressmen who uh, have tried to say, you know, it's just politics, Steve. It's not just politics. They're, they're talking, when they say this to me, they're talking to a man who spent my entire adult life around people, mostly young people, willing to give their life for their country. And I saw some of them did, did just that, or limbs. And these politicians are saying they can't risk reelection. They're so afraid of the base, and they have no idea the, the confession of cowardice that is to, to say that to me with a straight face. You know, we're not asking them to storm the beaches of Normandy or Iwo Jima. <laughs> All we're asking them to do is tell the truth to the American people. And that I was naive about. What I'm optimistic about, the women of America, the youth of America, I think will save us feedback I get from within the military is it's still holding. And I can see why, because it's all about leadership. And we have had great, great leadership. That's what saved us. Mattis and Mark Milley, you know, Lloyd Austin right now, we have, we have great secretaries of defense and chairman of the joint chiefs of staff, but we're, we're at a tipping point. How long can they hold that cross section where you had Trump basically spouting the strategic objectives of Putin while president. So like I mentioned before, your book um, was published in August 2020. Um, you know, that was obviously before the election, the then January 6, 2021 insurrection and attempted overthrow of democracy. And Trump's now former, uh, four criminal indictments you know, in addition to like a, a litany of other, you know, statements, actions, etc. What more have you learned over the past three years since you published your book? I've learned a lot, but it's all the same. It's, it's all the same pathology. It's just that it doesn't matter whether we're talking about something trivial. And, and I'm not being glib. None of this is really trivial. But what I mean is that Trump, like anybody 
who's an antisocial narcissist, they're completely consistent. They have a completely consistent history. So whether we're talking about way before he was a politician, he did an Access Hollywood interview and they asked him who his uh, baby daughter took after uh, his mother or Donald. And his answer was, uh, this was to a guy named Robin Leach in Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, is that uh, she's got her mother's legs, whether she develops her big breasts or not remains to be seen. That was an early indication because that answer is so sexually deviant that I would challenge you, and I think I'm right, there is no male you've ever met. You don't have a friend, you don't have an uncle, you don't have a brother, a father, grandfather, whoever could answer that question, who does the baby take after, and that they would answer, it remains to be seen if she gets her mother's big breasts. It's a completely sexually deviant answer. Now, that it's trivial in the sense that that that's not colluding with the Russians. <laughs> uh, that's not trying to overthrow our government. But the same mind, you can follow the thread. In a Playboy interview, he was asked about the Tiananmen Square massacre, where thousands were slaughtered, young uh, college students, young female college students bayoneted to death and everything. And Trump's answer to Playboy in 1991 was the, the Chinese government almost blew it. But then they put it down with strength. America's not strong anymore. These are things I did put in my book to show this thread. That's not just a slightly bizarre answer. It's completely off the scale of any politician you've ever heard. We don't praise. And, and the thread just continues. He, he congratulated communist leaders on um, illegal elections. He um, fell in love with one of the biggest human rights monsters on the planet. He said Putin was a genius for invading Ukraine. What's frustrating for me is that all of these things are consistent with this diagnosis. And here I am six years later, still throwing spaghetti against the wall, trying to get politicians because I keep lobbying leaders because this has to come through leadership. If they would only allow themselves to get a tutorial on that, this is a very consistent diagnosis that we wouldn't allow an 18 year old to have. And the thread never stopped to the point where, you know, he plots a coup and our attorney general. Now, thank God we were saved by a few men, all Republicans, by the way, two men in particular, uh, William Barr, our attorney general, who told the president that there was no election fraud of any significance. And he looked in all 50 states. Trump would not uh, go along with that. So he resigned. That's American history. That's why I say none of this is my opinion. Part of American history is our attorney general resigned his job rather than be part of a coup. And then our vice president, Mike Pence, also refused to succumb to the pressure of doing something illegal. And he counted the vote, the legal vote. Otherwise, I don't know what we would be facing. The only good thing about sex offenders and all personality disorders is that logic and reasoning breaks down for them so that they prove they actually confess to their crimes. Unfortunately, lawyers don't know this. It's a mental health thing. So, for instance, uh, all the Russian stuff is a hoax, but Donald Trump himself signed into law economic sanctions on Russia as punishment for the cyber warfare, he says, is a hoax and a witch hunt. Joe Biden stole an election, but no one proves that Joe Biden is the legitimate president more than Donald Trump because Donald Trump got in a, a helicopter and left the White House and flew to Mar-a-Lago. So the logic and reasoning breaks down because no one would have had a greater responsibility <laughs> uh, not to let a fraud take your job and you run away and abandon your post than Donald Trump.
And again, what makes him mentally ill is he's never stopped. To this day, if you were interviewing him instead of me right now, he would still be saying he won the election. And by a landslide, the narcissists love to throw in the, <laughs> the superlative. So he, he not only won the election, he won by a landslide, but at the same time he was telling his uh, supporters to fight like hell, he ran away to Mar-a-Lago and let the job go to the next guy, which was the absolute proof that Joe Biden was president. They do this with everything. And rapists and pedophiles are famous for this. They interview a certain way where logic and reasoning breaks down, but they don't know it. That's the only thing. This is how he lost this rape case. This uh, Jean Carroll was awarded $5 million. I turned to my wife and said, how the hell did she win that case? Women never win cases, particularly ones that are years old, when they have no witnesses and no physical evidence and all that. It's the deposition. The lawyer who deposed him, who was also young and attractive, knew exactly what she was doing. And he just talked and talked and talked till he did everything, including flirting with her, that proved what he was to a jury of our peers. I have to be hopeful that these four pending cases, that something ends up with a conviction because they're all open and shut cases. Just like when I had SCI clearance, which is above top secret for a short period of my career in Alaska. If I could tell you, Cyril, if I took even one piece of paper home, (laughs) if I didn't end up in Leavenworth, at least it would have been the end of my career the next day. This is how all these things are no-brainers. His guilt is overwhelming in every one of these cases. You're not just looking at guilt like Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon was not mentally ill, and that's why his response to getting caught was completely normal. He got squirrely and nervous, and (laughs) oh, geez, the jig is up. And his Republican leaders marched down to the White House and told him, you got to resign. And he did. Only this particular pathology would even think of, well, no, um, everyone else is corrupt. The FBI is corrupt, the CIA, the military, the, the department, they're all part of a deep state against me. Now, the idea that you could sell that is what's so scary. But he has. He has sold it. We are divided. So let's just say that you know, justice is served. Trump is convicted um, and is sentenced to prison. Are you worried that Trumpism will outlive Trump? I mean, if you look right now at the Republican primary, I'd say probably about 80% of them, um, you know, trying to out MAGA the other. They've promised to pardon January Sixers, um, you know, as well as Trump. You know, never mind Trump's grassroots support within the Republican Party, um, you know, which is undeniable. So, you know, will his legacy live on? And will Trumpism continue to threaten the health, if not the existence of democracy, even if we see this man behind bars? No, I don't think so. I don't think it will outlive him because people used to try to say to me, um, even a few military people should have known better, that uh, it doesn't matter if you get Osama bin Laden, because if you kill him, just some other lieutenant's going to take over al-Qaeda and we're still going to have the same problem. And I disagreed with that. I said, no. Uh, not everybody has the same charisma and leadership abilities. You you need to cut off the head of the rattlesnake and see what happens. And um, I'm a big believer in you must get the leader. You know, there's a difference between Hitler and Goebbels. There's a difference between Trump and DeSantis. When Trump is gone, and he needs to be gone. Otherwise, he's a constant national security threat. 
And so he needs to go to jail at, the, at a minimum for us to have any national healing. You need to have a national remedy for a national tragedy. We needed John F. Kennedy's funeral to heal as a nation. We need to see, there needs to be that visual of Trump going behind bars for the healing to begin. Finally, Steve, you know, in addition to voting, like what, what else do you recommend, you know, people do um, to help fight for and, and preserve American democracy? All of us can do what we can do. So obviously you got to vote because there is a plan and it's a very thought out plan by the right. People need to get involved locally. And that means going to your school boards and addressing all of the unconstitutional, un-American agenda that's being pushed on our kids or taken away from our kids, if you will, like slavery taught slave skills and things like this that they're trying to um, incorporate in Florida. But it's a nationwide strategy of attacking what they call wokeism. And these are interesting strategies they use and interesting words that they turn backwards. They took a term that we used to think of, you know, being awake, getting getting awakened. And they've used it as, a, as an attack slur. And uh, again, I'm very proud of the military because none of this has seeped into the military. And I don't know if you've ever gotten to see General Milley's um, testimony before Congress when Matt Gates tries to take him on about critical race theory. The way he handles it is, is beautiful. Uh, it's American. And it's an example of they have not infiltrated the military yet. But like you said, and I agree with you, it's only a matter of time because the military is a cross-section of America. So in Charlottesville, you had neo-Nazis marching, chanting, Jews will not replace us with swastikas. You had KKK. You had other white supremacist groups. All of those groups are disqualified from military service. You cannot be a white supremacist and be in the U.S. military. And you had the commander in chief, again, for the first time in American history, saying as commander in chief <laughs> that these were very fine people. People disqualified from the military he led were very fine people. Again, it's the diagnosis because the logic and reasoning breaks down. It's completely illogical. Anyway, back to your question. All of us have to find some way to do something. Of course, your vote, for me, it's continuing to try to publicize from a military and mental health point of view, this guy's completely disqualified. But we've got parents that should be concerned about education and what's going on, because the same forces that we're talking about are trying to infiltrate every part of society. And I would like to see more Christian leaders stand up, because you really can't, if you have even a fundamental understanding of the life of Christ, which has to do with sympathy and empathy and love and compassion and forgiveness and all that, you can't possibly be for someone who has, uh, is completely immoral and has broken all of these commandments by your own rules. You know, I would like for it to come from clergy rather than someone like me without the religious credentials, although I could do a whole lecture on religiosity which is a mental health thing, and I have a lot of experience with that, both in and outside of prison work. And why it's relevant is I may have, let's say on a small scale, and this is a true case of mine where I have an 18-year-old who has to be kicked out of the military because he won't accept any leadership 
except his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, he won't even salute the American flag. And so, and, and this is in the realm of character disorder, by the way, although this was, he was more of a harmless flea type. However, it's not harmless when you have a Doug Mastriano run for governor of a state, Pennsylvania, and believes in Christian nationalism, which is completely un-American. And again, it frustrates me that I never hear the military point of view, which would be Doug. You realize the military has chaplains. We have rabbis. We have Christians. We have ministers. We have priests. We even have imams. And by the way, you can be an atheist and be in the military and have all the rights and privileges of everyone else. And we all agree to protect those rights and privileges and beliefs unto death. So Christian nationalism is completely synonymous with Sharia law, which is, of course, they're against that. So it's completely un-American and against the First Amendment. But I don't hear the pushback that I want to hear on these issues. Yeah, and and, and again, I, th- I think like you know, I think we're we're starting to see it, but the me- you know the media for multiple reasons is not doing a good job reporting it, whether it's because local news is is being decimated, or just like even like internal or not even like subconscious biases. But Steve, but we do have some people, um, and I tell a lot of people ask me. Uh, well, what should I start listening to? And I said, well, you know, listen to everybody. I, I listen to the opposite side, too, because I like to know what I'm talking about and not misquote. But if you have to go outside the United States, if you have to listen to the BBC or Al Jazeera or someplace to get a little bit more of an objective uh, view, then start listening to those things. But we have a national treasure. I don't know if you know Heather Cox Richardson. Yes. Um, but we have a historian. And unlike left-wing media, she, she writes like a historian, which is non-biased. She tries to stick to the facts as much as possible. We're all a little bit human, so every once in a while she may write a sentence or two that sounds a little uh, leaning in one direction, but she tries to back it up just with facts, figures, and history. And she has a real grasp of what's going on in America right now, but she ties the threads back either to the Revolutionary War or to to the Civil War or Jim Crow or whatever. She puts the threads through like I could put the threads through to show that Trump uh, fits a certain pathology completely. And it doesn't matter what subject. It could be a one year old. It could be a massacre. It could be kids in cages on the border. It could be Syrians. It could be uh, betraying the Kurds. It could be a rape case that he just lost. But it's a completely consistent psychological pattern. Only the subject changes. His responses do not change. They're always the same. And so I've told several of my family members who said, well, I don't know what to do anymore. I, you know, I don't know who to believe. You know, you, Fox News or, you know, I think MSNBC is too biased the other way. And they go into all these different arguments. And so I've recommend Heather Cox Richardson. So why don't you look up this woman? She does a really good pulse of the nation on a daily basis. And even if that's all you read, you could stay informed. Well, great. Well, Steve, thanks again so much for coming on. And and for listeners, Steve is a a frequent columnist with the Bucks County Beacon. So you can look for him on our opinion page. And again, uh, listeners, be sure to go to your local bookstore uh, and order or pick up a copy of American Carnage and Officer's Duty to Warn.
Thanks, Steve. Cyril, keep up the good work and appreciate it. And uh, your dedication is really admirable. Thank you, Steve. We'll talk again soon. Okay, thanks again. This has been The Signal, a podcast by the Bucks County Beacon. I'm Cyril McAlego, Editor-in-Chief and Host. For more progressive news, analysis, and opinion from Bucks County and beyond, go to www.buckscountybeacon.com. The Signal is produced by Kevin Mahoney of Radio Chicken Media. Intro-outro music by Moff et Tula, featuring Cartas a Felice, used with permission. Thank you.